to White Studio with me today, Dooner. Did you have a great weekend, my friend? I did, man. I, you know, I said I was going to do it. I'm a man of my word. All I right. said I was going to get Bill and Ted face the music. I All did over right. the weekend. Did you happen to catch it? And did you think it was most excellent? <laughs> I didn't. I wanted to wait for a most excellent review from a trusted source, which would be you, Dooner. So, should I drop the coin or what? Uh, well, and we got all of our friends here, right, right here, live on the LinkedIn as well. I, uh, you know what? Yes. So here's what I liked about it. In all light right. of everything going on. I needed some escapism this weekend. The news was, was awful. Another just terrible weekend in America. Yeah. What I liked about Bill and Ted, Face the Music, is uh, it, a lot of remakes, sometimes they're cynical. They're cynical towards the source material. This one, not at all. It embraced what its Bill Intedness. Uh, it did a good update of the series, and uh, I would recommend it. It's, it's just good fun. 3.8 out of 5. Excellent. Most excellent review, my man. Most excellent and most review. excellent review. Yeah, I hate it when the sequels try to make it cerebral or something like that. Just leave it what it is. It's Bill and Ted, bro. Yeah, Be it's not the dark to each other. Yeah. You know, you don't have to make like a dark, angsty version. You know, what yeah. it did deal with, though, is it's kind of cool because you grow up with these characters and, and you're, you are our age and they're sort of dealing with, with aging and what it means to be an adult and grow up. And uh, Yeah. It was just good. It was just good, clean fun. All right. Well, I'm going to have to do it then. <laughs> and, and, and they just would you recommend just... going through, like, there's three, right? There's three now? Yeah. So would you recommend going through the first two to get to this one? I mean, does it, does it follow a plot in any way, shape, or form? Or? It's Bill and Ted. Just Bill and Ted. There is no it's real plot. If you like it, you, you like left it. Napoleon at the Piggly Wiggly. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> they did. Yes, they did. Uh, Excellent. Cool stuff. Oh, and Jimi Hendrix is in it. No spoilers. Well, minor spoiler. All right. Minor spoiler. <laughs> well, let's tip the band today. we got a big show. We're going to go back to freight school, man. We're doing a lot of trucking-focused coverage today. I mean, the I show it. is called What the Truck. But we don't always deal with trucking. We deal with the, the whole gamut of the supply chain, dealt a lot with tech. But today we'll get sure. into the nitty-gritty. We're going to talk about uh, starting a trucking school, a dispatch. We'll get a view from the road from the most stylish man on 18 wheels, my friend the Freight Bambino. I, I, you know, I was trying to catch some pictures and stuff. I'm yeah. gonna, do we have any for the You'll crowd? see. All right, cool. You'll see. Awesome. You'll see. Awesome. You'll see. And then, then we'll Can't be wait. talking a little bit about miles per gallon and fuel efficiency, you know, a big driver yeah. of the economy of riding a truck. So we got some great stuff, some great news. But the first thing we got to do is tip the band. Also, thank you to those in the audience right now. Brian Ritchie, Julian Romero, Eric Surdy said, be excellent to each other. Yeah, excellent. Eric says, if Dooner likes it, I know I will. Ron is here and uh, Frederico Rodriguez is, is right. checking in from uh, Miami. So, freight claims, they get a bad rap, don't they? They do. Rightfully so. <laughs> but with transactional all-risk insurance coverage through UPS Capital Insurance Agency, almost 99% of claims are paid, with most in four days or less. Annual policies or pay-as-you-go options are available to cover all modes, all carriers. Natively integrate insurance coverage into your shipping and ERP platforms and establish business rules for coverage based on SKU, carrier, receiver, or more. The le then leverage these claim data to pinpoint risks in your supply chain. How do they get there? They, they, what they need to do is they need to go to uscapital.com forward slash insure immediately following the show. All right, man, let's get to the headlines. Uh, we had a quick change of scenery. I was 20 minutes ago, I was, I was actually sitting in my house. <laughs> you, you were. <laughs> yeah, I don't, know if, I don't know if everyone's been dealing with these internet outages, but Cloudflare has had a big outage that's affected yeah. the Chattanooga area. So if there's any impact on this stream, too, we apologize. Hopefully the on-demand version will be even better. But just bear with us. There are some internet issues that are persisting. But headline number one, analyst 
ups estimate. And I was going to read that as UPS. We've been in freight too long. You mentioned it. <laughs> You're in freight too long when you can't read the word ups. Uh, yes, yeah, it just reads as UPS in my yeah, brain. Analyst ups estimates for truckload carriers in the second half of 2020. About time. We've been pushing the bull for a while now. And we've been pushing it because that is what the data shows. I know that some people have Absolutely. cited other reports and, and they've been so trepidatious to make this call. Well, now more analysts are. Todd Maiden reports citing strong spot market fundamentals and low retail inventories. UBS freight transportation analyst Tom Wadwitz, he raised his forecast for truckload carriers for the back half of the year. And this is what he had to say. Truckload spot market data have shown a better than normal seasonal pattern with continuing strength in spot loads in July and August. And that's what we've been saying all along. Absolutely. And, you know, this stuck out to me and it aligns with exactly what we've been seeing, right? And what yeah. we've been talking about. You're talking about. Wadwitz says, uh, we note that inventory replenishment is a key driver of truckload and intermodal demand, obviously, and low inventories point to strength in demand for the second half 20 and likely into 2021. Mm-hmm. The race to restock has been evident in freight waves outbound tender volume index, as we've been talking about, and it continues to go up. New highs, 50% comp- up. 50, up nearly 50% compared to 2019. And the, the, the index has really maintained a positive year-over-year year inflection since mid-May. It's just it's, it's been going up as uh, various components of the economy, namely manufacturing, come back online. We say it every time. We feel like a broken record because then we have to bring up this point. Will uh, expired stimulus payments, will they be a headwind, right? We are in a country in a lot of turmoil, so there's a lot of risk in the supply chain. Is that going to fall into freight? Well, Wadwitz looked at this, right? He cited the expiration of stimulus payments as a potential headwind to this bullish truckload thesis, but he said that payments drove personal income significantly higher year over year in April through June. However, he contends that the government data points to the resilience, the government data points to the resilience of income levels during the pandemic, even if the stimulus was pulled out of the equation. Right. So the, so the spending was good and the income levels were still good and they continue on a fairly positive trend right now. Yeah. Right. So, I mean, but it, it all comes down to how does it go? But analysts are looking for a pretty strong season. I mean, holiday it, season. It, it, how many of us were planning on taking a vacation? We're planning on going. So I was supposed to go to Disney. Right. How much of that money has now gone into retail? Have you bought a Peloton? Have you bought some weights? Have you fixed your backyard shed? This money is still moving around and people are just like, you know, that thing I was going to hold off on. Yeah. Because this year was family vacation year. Well, now we're getting it now. Yeah, that, that's exactly right. They're spending it at home. Yeah. <laughs> and up, as I am. I can testify to that. I hope that I'm PS5 supply chain analyst we talked about is paying attention. People will buy that thing. Don't have inventory shortfalls. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah, don't do it. Don't do Count it, Count on us buying it. They're going to buy it. <laughs> but here's the bad news. Here's the bad news about uh. a tight trucking market. It may hamstring Lars recovery efforts. This is something we talked about on the midday market update. We're talking with Kathy Fulton from Alanade, and she was like, look, these pandemics, the recoveries, they can take months and years. It's not days. The news cycles days on this kind of stuff. I'm sure a lot of people who aren't imp- impacted have already forgot about Laura, right? Yeah, yeah. The news stops long before all the relief yeah. and everything actually kicks into gear. Yeah. Yeah. Well, also the logistics side, the freight don't quit. And Zach Strickland reports the average national rates for dry van and reefer truckload, according to truckstop.com, have been increasingly consistently after bottoming out in May, reaching those new high levels since 2018 that you referenced in the last story. Relief efforts, though, are greatly dependent on transportation of supplies into these disaster zones. With carrier networks already strained due to the surging demand resulting from an economy both recovering and adapting, there may not be as much capacity available to bring these much-needed relief 
relief supplies. Very, very true statement. There, there, there's a definite risk there. But last week, FreightWaves, uh, our CEO and founder, Craig Fuller, yeah. uh, decided to once again offer the free access to Sonar. It's a public service, right? Data platform, our data platform, Sonar, to aid in any response effort without directly, or whether directly or indirectly related to Laura, you can get it for free. Uh, with so much uncertainty through September 4th. Yeah. But with so much uncertainty already in the present in the market, visibility into the high demand and fragmented trucking market will uh, help anyone involved make better decisions on how to source freight transportation over the next week. And uh, so you can gain that uh, free access by going to sonar.freightwaves.com and get it through the 4th and, and see what's going on and really help you make those decisions. Yeah. Well, most of the recovery efforts are going to be led by FEMA. Again, if you didn't listen to the Midday Market Update on Thursday, highly recommend going back, listen to that one, look it up on Freightcast mm-hmm. on your favorite podcast player. Because we talked a lot about the, the logistics and how the whole function works of doing these recovery and aids. But they will bring supplies like food and generators initially. Will they have help? To, will they help those who are displaced? Once they have evaluated the extent of the damage, though, they'll start bringing the supplies. They'll start doing this for a building. The extent of the damage helps define the timeline, but typically it takes several months for a full recovery. And a lot of times it's because the money is not available there as either. I have a buddy who works in right. FEMA relief aid. So, uh, and everyone thinks he's the guy who comes in, you know, off the helicopter in a bucket and takes people off the roof during Katrina. <laughs> but that's most people in FEMA. What they do is after a storm like this, groups of them go in, they assess the damage. It's a whole process. I mean, if you mm-hmm. dealt with insurance, it's similar. It's a long process to figure out who's getting paid, who's getting what, who's going to allocate those things. Yeah, and prioritizing all that type yeah. of stuff, right? Because you've got to get the infrastructure set up to get the relief in there first and then start rebuilding and so on and so forth. But, True story. Yeah, yeah, and as Zach points out, if carriers are having trouble servicing their existing customers, there will need there uh, there will need to be a strong incentive outside of altruism to devote capacity to the effort relief, especially considering the fact that many were concerned about staying in business earlier in the year and spot market rates are so high right now. FEMA's con- they're competing big time right now. Yeah, I mean, it's tough. You know, and he, as he mentioned there, altruism is not going to move at all. You know, there's some companies who like doing good. We'll Absolutely. cover Tyson and the good they're doing when yeah. we get to good news, bad news. But um, at the same time, a lot of companies, you know, we'll also get to furloughs. And some companies having to cut staff and stuff like that, too, still cutting staff. So uh, getting relief, just if, if you are with a trucking company, you want to provide le- relief to something like that, and you want to get Sonar as well, go to sonar.freightwaves.com. Help out as much as you can. They're going to need it out there. Yeah, they definitely are. And it'll give you the great insights on what's happening and how those fragmented markets are changing in real time so you can figure out where that demand is and where the, for the capacity, et cetera. And you, want, you want to go to trucking school? Yeah, let's do it, Let's man. do it. Let's call Alex Burton up. He's fleet owner at Good Energy Worldwide. We're going to dial him up right now. Talk to him a little about He says he's a serial entrepreneur. He used to be a, a, a nightclub owner. We'll talk to him about that yeah, as well. Yeah, he went from nightclubs to trucking school. Hey, is this Alex? This is Dooner and the Dude on What the Truck. You're live on the air with us, my man. Hey, what's going on, guys? What's going on? <laughs> we, uh, we were man. like... We were wondering why you would leave the, like, the world of the velvet rope of nightclubs to go work in our crazy industry. <laughs> Hey, I'm going to be honest with you. Um, I-, I couldn't see myself in the nightclubs at 60 years old, and I really <laughs> wanted to do something. That- that's really the uh, odd reason, man. Yeah. <laughs> He, don't you, he looked guy. in the mirror and didn't want to be that guy. He's a creepy guy at the uh, club who's just there too late, <laughs> yeah. too long, too many years. <laughs> what are you guys doing today, man? We're doing great, man. So uh, from, fr- from, a, from a nightclub owner to trucking. Yeah. Yes. Uh, <laughs> you got any stories okay. from behind the velvet curtain? How did you make that move, right? I mean, you talk about you didn't want to be that guy, but there's got to be yeah. more to that story, right? Absolutely, man. I just, uh, you know, I realized that, um, you know, I'm getting older, and I definitely wanted to get into an industry that I could pass down to my kids, um, you know, something that had more longevity in it, and I just wanted to get more serious. And getting into an industry 
uh, that was essential. It's funny, I've been saying the word essential before um, the pandemic hit, right? I wanted to get into an industry that no matter what was going on, um, there was a need for it. And I felt more secure in the uh, transportation industry. Yeah. Hey, man, you hooked up with Eric Thomas. I saw, I saw a video on your website of it. I think we have a quick clip. So let's play the clip real quick. It'll, it'll upset the table a little bit for your next life after the Velvet Rope. So guys in the back, play that video real quick. Hey, uh, for real, man. As y'all know, it's your boy, E.T. And uh, y'all know me, man, for real. Like, I don't be co-signing stuff. Uh, y'all don't see me all over the internet. Um, with different people, you know what I'm saying? It's because I respect my name, I respect my brand, and it's everything. But every now and then, you know, for real, you come across, you know, good energy, you know, good people, good vibes, you know what I'm saying? So Alex came to us, man, a year or so ago, you know, in March, and I'm just so proud, man, of the work that he's doing because my thing is, yo, it ain't about you. Yeah, okay, you could do it, but can you help other people to do it? And that's what he's done, it's, it's the Christ model. Christ had disciples, you know what I'm saying? And so he's at a point right now where with the trucking industry, he's making living on your own terms a reality. You feel me? Get up when you want to get up, you know? Uh, live where you want to live. Do what you want to do. And he's doing it with integrity. And I think that's one of the biggest challenges I got in this society. Hey, did, uh, did, did he tell you that um, get up when you want to? I mean, in freight, you're going to be getting up early. You might be going to bed late. <laughs> you're going to get up when your customers want you to get up. Yeah, you're going to get up when your customers want you to get up. But, you know, that makes sense. So good energy worldwide. You do a lot of learning, right? You do. You do. You have, you, you teach people how to open up trucking. You teach people how to do dispatch services. So it's 2020. People talk. People are looking at these spot rates. We covered them in our, in our first segment. They're going to go, you know what? What you do looks easy, so I want to go do it. So what do you tell people who are joining now? We're going to a trucking school at this point in time? Well, honestly, one of my biggest phrases, guys, is education before compensation, right? Uh, this industry, as we know, it can be very lucrative during, you know, peak seasons and markets like this today, right? But um, I just tell people this is not the game that you just kind of jump in and just figure it out as you go. Um, it can be very expensive. You know, in 2012, when I got in the game, I made every single mistake that you could make in trucking. Like, I literally went through the list. And I was fortunate enough to have the opportunity to recover and give it another shot. And then in 2015, once I started seeing profits, I just decided I want to help people uh, do it the right way the first time, right? So um, we created an online portal that I uh, teamed up with Eric Thomas with, and uh, we're basically um, showing people step-by-step in chronological order not only how to get up and running and and structure it the right way, but also how to maintain and operate efficiently. Um, That's the biggest thing. A lot of people don't even know their numbers when they're running these trucking companies. A lot of people don't understand that there's so many moving parts and in order for you to really make profits in this game, everything has to be moving in synergy. So we've created the portal, man, and it's just been amazing. We've had thousands of students nationwide, um, 100% five-star reviews on Google, and um, we're, just, we're just breaking records right now. It's just an honor to be able to help people, man. That's really great stuff. You know, it, 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 it brings back the, you know, you give a person a fish, they feed them for a day, you teach them how to fish, and they can feed themselves for a lifetime. So it's really good stuff and really good energy. My father, grandfather used to tell me, Mike, you know, you don't have to make every mistake yourself. And so what you're doing there is very true. Education before profitability, right? Yeah. And even afterwards, yeah. though, I was reading on your website and going through there, you guys offer assistance afterward in the form of rate negotiation for these people and even actual oh, yeah. dispatch services. Isn't that correct? Oh, yeah, absolutely. See, my thing is get people up and running and just toss them to the wall. So not only do we offer all our resources as far as our vendors and all the people that we use to run our trucking company, 
Uh, but we also, um, uh, put that right there. Um, we also are a one-stop shop. So people who um, might not be a negotiator, people who might not be good with being on the phone and negotiating with shippers and brokers, et cetera, we created a dispatch service that's exclusive to our clients to where once you get everything up and running, you have your truck, um, you now have the opportunity to, um, you know, give us your truck and we'll run it for you. So for a small percentage, I have a team of guys who I've trained uh, relentlessly and they're negotiating on behalf of the carriers and basically creating a passive uh, a passive income situation for these uh, owners to where they don't necessarily have to deal with the day-to-day operations. Our company will run the whole thing for them. So it's pretty much like a one-stop shop. And I want to let you guys know something real quick. I personally don't have a CDL, okay? Mm-hmm. I've never driven a truck a day in my life. Um, you know, for, uh, it's a couple of reasons that I didn't do it. Because one of them is I have sleep apnea, right, just to be transparent. Um, I'm not really good with driving long distances, but I didn't let that deter me from going ahead and starting my trucking company. I just had to learn how to move the test pieces, and that's kind of like my niche for my clients. I'm trying to show people, like, okay, even if you're not going to drive the truck, let me show you how to move the test pieces and be able to run it as an owner, and you'll still be able to uh, do it the right way. So that's that's kind of like my niche right there. I like that he helps out with some services, because I'll tell you a story. Yeah. For Father's Day, about a decade ago, mm-hmm. I got my dad and I sailing lessons on Boston Harbor. We took this week-long course. Yeah, yeah. We got licensed to sail on Boston Harbor. Then we're out there on Solings. And we realized that we knew how to unmoor. We knew how to put the sails up. But we didn't know how to like avoid crashing into a tanker or <laughs> running the keel. These things have 17-foot <laughs> keels running the keel ground, both of which we uh, we did in <laughs> near-death experiences. Um, but, but, but when you start, when you're getting learned, what, what are these greenhorns? What do you have to teach them? You know, what do you have to uh, – how, how do you toughen them up? Repeat that one more time. The, the greenhorns. When you get new students, and what kind of misconceptions do they have, and how do you break those misconceptions to get them ready for what they'll be facing in the real world uh, as an operator? Absolutely. Well, one of the biggest mistakes is people don't understand the importance of having a cushion, right? Before you start a trucking company, you need to have at least six months of your fixed costs, monthly expenses, put to the side. Because as we all know, you know, hiring a driver can be a challenge. Uh, your truck. It's not if your truck's going to break down, it's when it's going to break down. And I'm just really big on just letting them know, hey, look, this is a game that you need to have uh, strict money management skills. This is not a game where you just make money and you just start spending it. You really need to be good with money in this game so that you're prepared for whatever happens, right? Um, another thing is just setting the realistic expectations. Uh, you're not going to get rich off one truck, right? This is definitely a volume game that once you get your systems in place with the first truck, you scale up to about three, four, five, and then once you start having multiple trucks is when you really start seeing a profit. So I think some people think, okay, if I just get a truck, I'm, I'm going to be rich. No, you're going to need a few more, right? Uh, so that's like one of the two main things right there. So in a sense, you're kind of teaching business school. You know, you're teaching the particulars of trucking, but you yeah. still have to be business-minded. You have to understand your operational costs and all of those things, and yes. a lot goes into that. A lot more than just saying, okay, I got a CDL now, now I'm going to go pick up some freight, I'm going to look at the load boards. It's not that easy. Nobody's selling anybody that bill of goods. Hey, listen, man, the first step in, in business is, is mindset. Right before you get your money, your capital, your credit, and uh, what you're going to do is your mindset first. And I tell people all the time, your biggest expense in life is the information that you do not know. Okay? That's your biggest yeah. expense in life. So I, I, I'm just really letting people understand information is literally the new currency. And if, if I can pay to avoid making your mistake, sign me up. And that's what we created for the people, man. I'm just excited. This is a great time to be in trucking, man. I'm going to be doing this till I'm 100 years old. I take the good with the bad. As we know, there's peaks and valleys in trucking. It's a high point to 
you know, you guys were having a totally different conversation during the pandemic, during 2019. I mean, you guys are one of my favorite platforms to watch. And um, it's just an honor to be here with you guys and, and, and talk about what I love. Well, Alex, we really appreciate your time today. People who want to learn more about Good Energy Worldwide, where should they go? Uh, two places, man. My, my Instagram is, uh, is, is, is a really good place for me right now. It's uh, Alex, and that's A-L-I-X underscore Good Energy. And, uh, you're, one, and you're more than welcome to visit our website. It has everything that we uh, provide. It's uh, goodenergyworldwide.com. Thank you so much for your time today, Alex. We really appreciate it. Thanks, man. Yeah, all right. Good Excellent stuff, stuff. Out, of, uh, out of Alex. You know, I like that he focused on the fiscal responsibility. I think that's one of the, the most important things to teach people when they're starting a business. It is so easy to be a spectator and go, all that person does is drive a truck. How hard can it be? Well, and that's the thing I was talking. I was I was thinking about with what Alex is doing is he's really solving the the Peter principle. If you're if you're familiar with that, you know, given a hierarchy of personal rise to their highest level of incompetency, right? Yeah. Meaning, if you're a good truck driver, therefore you can run a truck driving uh, a, a company. Yeah. And that's not necessarily the case. And that's what he's trying to teach these people how to do is how to bring that out of there and, and teach them all those pitfalls and hurdles that they're going to see. If anything, that can lead to that whole Dunning-Kruger effect, you know, where, where the, the, you know enough to be dangerous to yourself and to other people. That's exactly right. Exactly. We call the most stylish man in truck in the Freight Bambino. I wish we would. He's out on the road right now. Let's find out from him. I need some help. About uh, what it's like driving a truck in 2020, his, uh, his career on the road. Hey, Freight Bambino. Yeah, Michael Westland. Hey, Freight Bambino, you're on the air on What the Truck with Dooner and the Dude. How you doing, brother? Good. How are you? We're calling you the uh, the most stylish man in trucking. Oh, boy. Here we go. <laughs> man, look at that. He is. Is it is it Mr. Bambino, or can I just call you Freight? Uh, you can just call me Michael. Oh, okay. Oh. Gotcha. Gotcha. <laughs> gotcha. Hey, look, we're best friends already. <laughs> yeah. Well, hey, man, so yeah. you're a truck driver. How long have you been driving for? Oh, uh, I've been driving for about four years now, going on five, and I started in the trucking. Well, my dad has been a trucker basically all my life, and before that, I mean, just did a whole lot of maintenance and stuff on trucks, and then finally got into it when I turned 21, got, went over the road and stuff like that, so. Yeah, he's a, you're, you're a young dude, right? You're like mid-20s? Yeah, 26 years old, yep. Wow. Yeah. What kind of what kind of stories you got from behind the wheel there, right? I mean, was it everything that you expected when you jumped into it? You said your father was into it as well, and you were doing maintenance and so on, and then jumped right into it. So how has been your, uh, what is it, five years plus? Yeah, what's your experience? Um, honestly, it's probably a whole lot better than I expected. I kind of got into it in the industry when it, in 2016, and it was pretty slow. We got in, and obviously, the uh, market went up a lot now. So, I mean, the money is a whole lot better now than what when I got into it. So, can't complain there for sure. So, but overall, I mean, I enjoy it a lot. I mean, I'm a single guy, so that helps. I'm sure. Yeah. Being married and stuff will probably change that whole perspective. But I mean, for what it is. Mike, how is that? How is that work-life balance? Because today's show, we're, we're sort of focusing mm, on yeah. trucking school, people who want to get into trucking. We just talked to someone who runs a trucking academy and the advice that he gives to people who want to become owner-operators, and that's to be fiscally responsible, know your numbers and those kind of things. What would you say to people who want to be that over-the-road driver like you? What, if, what kind of perspective have you gained over the past four years that maybe you wish you knew when you started? Um, just a lot of it has to do with running steadily. Just, you know, being out there, be, uh, working your ass off. Most people aren't willing to do that. So that gives you a huge, you know, uh, advantage versus, like, I mean, 
when you're on the, over the road, you don't have much of a choice of what besides to drive. So that helps a lot. So, I mean, just your motivation and stuff goes up just because, I mean, you're always, you know, driving. You have much else of a choice. And also, I mean, just from a successful standpoint, take your time off. I mean, you need that. Get your head right. Stuff like that. Does that make sense? Yeah, it absolutely does. Keeping work, work-life balance is, is extremely important. Michael, so you've been in it since 2016, right? So a lot has changed. Like you put in it, the money was pretty bad in 2016. It's gotten better, et cetera. How would you compare this year to your previous year's experience? What, what was that like going through the whole dying of the market and then it, the, you know, the huge rise in the amount of volumes, et cetera, that have, we've seen since May? Um. So, I mean, when 2016 we started, I mean, you're lucky to get, what, like $1.80 a mile? And if you're getting $1.80 a mile, you're doing pretty well. I mean, you're surviving it. But at the time, that was pretty good. But obviously now, I mean, there's just so much freight going on, stuff, especially after the whole you know, corona thing. With the corona thing going on, it was kind of slow there for a month or two. Then, I mean, it's pretty good. Like right now, if you're trying to get in a truck, and right now is definitely the time to do it, for sure. Yeah, and that's that's why so, Michael and I wanted to do this one because we thought it was a good time to sort of cover this episode because we know a lot of greenhorns and newbies and mm-hmm. people are going to look at guys like you and go, well, Freight Bambino can drive a truck. I can drive a truck. Eric Sert in the comments says, Freight Bambino is the man. I follow this guy religiously on Twitter. Oh, okay, so go ahead and, uh, and follow him on Twitter. I follow you too, my friend. Um, but th- but this year has been unique. But what's been the worst? What would what you say is like the worst thing about driving that people don't think about? I, you know, I do road dog trucking all the time. Drivers tend to complain about, uh, you know, hours of service. There's that new hours of service. They're looking to be more flexible. But every driver that called in on Saturday was like, this doesn't really change anything and it doesn't help. W- what is your biggest mm. problem with trucking right now? Uh, honestly, the, everybody likes to complain about the e-logs and stuff. But ever since the e-logs came out, I mean, if you're running e-logs, the DOT officer and stuff, on on your ass near as bad as they used to be when you're running paper logs back in the day you try to you know record a you know 750 plus day you'd they'd be scrutinizing every little tiny thing but ever since e-log came in i mean everything you know on the computer they can just show them exactly where you were at what time just following the speed limit stuff and so 750 plus day is pretty easy to do now compared to what it used to be i mean if you wrote 750 back in the day they'd go through everything to give you a level one to the whole deal but right now, a huge part of it is, I mean, the worst, worst part of trucking right now, honestly, I don't really know. I kind of enjoy most of it, to be honest. Well, hey, I'm going to give you a little cowbell for that. I like that positivity. Yeah. I like that That's you're cool. not, you're like, I'm going to take the good of this job. I, I decided to do it. I've been doing it for four years. It runs in the family. And you're, you're, you're taking the best out of it. I, you did allude that maybe one of the worst parts would be if you, you know, if you had a family, if you had kids at home just mm. because of that time away. How do you manage your own work-life balance, though, even as a single guy? Like, how you meeting the ladies out there? Or the guys? Well, I mean, I got a lot of friends at home. I mean, most of it, most of the time, it's just my friends at home. Really what I'm worried about when I'm trucking, I really don't worry about, you know, my daily or nightlife or whatever. I'm you know, out there to work just like any job. It's not like even if you're working a 9 to 5, it's not like you're going to go out and, you know, hang out every day after work. I mean, we're grown adults. we got to pay bills and stuff. So, you know, got to wake up early, try to try to succeed. I'm really not worried about it on the road so much. But, I mean, when I'm at home, you know, you still got, still got all my friends and, you know, there are girls everywhere. It's really not that hard. I mean, Sounds like really he's got lonely, a good balance. They're, they're 
Yeah. Sounds yeah, like you got a great a great balance and a great attitude, Michael. What I'm I'm curious though, in your perspective on uh, detention at pickup or at delivery, have you noticed changes in that? I mean, obviously with the contactless and and trying to keep people safe and move things faster in the tight capacity that there is trying to move things faster. Are there innovations there? Is that better? Was that really the time suck from you being able to make money on the road is is sitting there waiting and has that improved? Oh uh, yeah. Like, when we first started, that was a huge issue. Like, back before you logged, it was a really big issue. And, I mean, you'd be sitting six, seven hours pretty easily. The places have been getting a bit better. I mean, there's obviously still places that do take forever to, you know, get you loaded and get you unloaded. But for the most part, it's been getting a little better. But that definitely used to be a huge time suck, for sure. Hey, what, what, but, kind, of truck I mean, you, what kind of truck are you driving right now? I, I just switched out of my Freightliner glider. And right now I'm driving a Cascadia. You got a favorite? Uh, do I have a favorite truck? I mean, I want a 379, but, you know, can't have everything you want right off the bat. <laughs> so little by little, one step at a time. One step at a time. So, I think Alex would echo that. I, yeah, Alex would. <laughs> Alex would. I, I mean, I really liked your perspective. I guess uh, just before we, we let you go, do you have any advice for drivers out there who may be looking to go to CDL school and think this is a career for them? Um, Just go out and try it. I mean, what's it? Honestly, having a CDL is a great backup plan. Even if that's not what you end up doing, it's something to fall back on for anybody. I mean, it was my backup plan working out for me, so I don't see why it wouldn't work out for anybody else, even as a backup plan. It's a pretty damn good backup plan, I'll tell you that much. Wow. Hey, so, Mike, we, we really appreciate you sharing your, yeah, spec, your perspectives today. I mean, you certainly have the, the personality, it seems, to, to thrive in this field. You're, you're, you, you seem to understand how to compartmentalize the job and take it for what it is, the good and the bad. And uh, I really appreciate hearing that. That was, that was cool. Oh, well, I appreciate you guys having me. Thanks, man. Right on, Michael. Oh, wait. Hey, uh, your Twitter. What's your Twitter handle if people want to go follow you? Uh, at mfabic911. It's just straight Bambino. I'm pretty sure that's the only one. <laughs> nice. Nice, man. Well, thank, you thanks, so. man. Keep, appreciate keep, it. Keep rolling. And congratulations on that roof you put up over the weekend. I appreciate it. Thanks, man. Have a good one. <laughs> Take it easy. Good, Michael. Man. Yeah, his so his personality mixes matches his picture. It does. You know, <laughs> it looks like he rolls with the punches pretty well. It, it looks like he rolls with the punches, and it looks like you know he understood he was becoming a driver. You know, some people, and I think Alex kind of warned on this. Don't just go and oh, operate a trucking company on a whim, right? You're, oh, yeah. you looked at you looked at a load board and spot markets look great. It does take conviction. It takes mentality. That Whether that be you as a dispatcher, whether that be you as an owner-operator, whether that be you as an over-the-road driver, you have to have the right mentality to get in this field and to thrive in this field. But uh, he, see, he certain, to me, seems like one of the good ones. Yeah, he does. I mean, one of his biggest pieces of advice was keep running and gunning, man. Keep running, keep running, running and gunning. Keep going. Throwback. He's like a throwback to like the old school, to like the seventies. He, he is. 70s he is. And he's got the. He's got a great attitude. Got great awesome. attitude. Great shirt. Great style. Yeah, man. Great poise. Right now, though, we got Alan Farnsworth. He's the CEO at Venomics Corporation. Ooh. He's in Rochester, New York, and uh, he decided to give us a little bit of his time today to play it forward. And today's a little oh, bit different right. of a play it forward, Michael Vincent. All right. Today's more of a. It's back to school, so we're going to do a little show and tell, aren't we, Alan? Yeah. Sure. <laughs> okay. Well, change, I guess we'll, change of plans. <laughs> yeah, no, all right, Alan, we got a video. We got a video. So we'll roll the clip and then we'll come right back to you on the other side of that clip. Production, please play it. Okay. Hi, this is Alan Farnsworth with Venomics here in uh, Pittsburgh, New York, just outside of uh, Rochester. And I'm down here in what I call my base cave. Um, I'm a bass player. I got way more equipment uh, than I do talent, but for me, the, the gear is a, a good part of the fun. So, as you can see, I got some Fenders, Fender P-Bass, Iconic, 
jazz bass, combination PJ bass, um, short scale Mustang bass, John Entwistle, The Who, played one of these on, on the Who's, one of the Who's U.S. tours. Uh, some Rickenbackers, Paul McCartney played Rickenbacker when he wasn't using his Hoffner violin bass. Uh, for me, they're more fun to look at than to play, but uh, yeah, a couple limited edition colors here. Uh, Mike Lull bass, Fender Artisan, sadly passed away a short time ago. Uh, and my most recent edition, Mike Kelly, uh, really comfortable and fun to play. And to show you that I can actually at least play a note, I'm going to play a couple licks, see if my lovely wife, who is filming, knows what it is. What do you say, Nori? The Beatles. The Beatles, good guess. There you go. Okay, Tim, over to you, and what the truck? Wow, what a what a what a pro too. He even knew how to throw so it back. So you say it's your birthday. <laughs> well, Alan, so awesome stuff, man. So you have a cool company. We'll talk about that in just a second. But let's uh, let's yeah. wrap on the bass game. Michael Vincent is a is a bassist himself, big yeah. musician. Michael Vincent, where did, where were you getting envy in that video? Uh, the P bass, yeah. <laughs> the must the short the short scale Mustang, uh, the PJ bass. Hmm. Uh, and I was gonna say, I mean, and, you know, I, I agree with you on the Rickenbackers. They're much more fun to look at to play, to tell you the truth. Yeah, but they're really nice. I've got it by uh, Ibanez Sound Gear is 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 the, my favorite, my go to. Just feels right, you know, playing it. Yeah, Do you have a favorite axe? Yeah. Do you have a favorite? What's your favorite axe? Uh, probably the P bass shown there. That's a Fender Custom Shop remake of a '59 classic. Classic. I have some uh, brass flat wounds on there, and it's it's just round and punchy. It's funny you mentioned the Mustang short scale. That that's a real vintage one. That's the a 1962, and at a given, but it's the loudest bass I have in the whole collection. And, you know, it's the same volume level on the amp. Don't know why, but that thing just screams. But my arms are too long to play that, so I don't take it out much. <laughs> hey, Catherine Whitehouse says, I love how positive the Freight Bambino is about the trucking business. Great attitude. You know, this is a show today mm -hmm. about going back to school and trucking, and we are focusing very heavily on trucking with our guest today. Your company, Vnomics, you work on what? You talk about, uh, what is it, potential miles per gallon versus average miles per gallon. What are the, what are the most expensive things to an owner-operator is going to be their fuel, right, Michael Vincent? That's exactly right. So tell us what Vnomics is. What do you guys do, Alan? Yeah, so we're focused on helping fleet fuel, for sure. Uh, we have a uh, software-based product that's included in our telematic system, but also available separately now on other telematic systems. Uh, and that tool allows you to understand for a given truck and trip and load and route, uh, how good was your MPG? It can compare the actual MPG you get to what could have been achieved or should have been achieved with, uh, with fuel-efficient driving. And we compare those two to get an efficiency metric, simple efficiency uh, percent. Really allows you to understand uh, what did occur in terms of fuel economy versus what could have or what should have occurred. And that's uh, that's the essence of how we help fleet save fuel. Uh, the tool has in-cab uh, audible driver coaching for fuel-efficient driving for that support. And then after the fact, we produce these uh, automated metrics that allow fleets to understand uh, what could they have done better? What could the driver have done better on a particular trip? What to do next time out to get the maximum possible fuel economy, uh, given the truck and the load and the route and the trip and all those things, which you know, aren't controllable on a, necessarily on a daily basis.
that that product is called True Fuel, and that's what we focus on. That that is uh, <laughs> that's really excellent stuff, Alan. So it says real time in cab driver coaching. So what, are they are they hooked up to electrodes? If they do something that's fuel inefficient, they get zapped or slapped or, or so. How does that work? I understand that afterwards, you know, you have the other coaching, but what's the real time? Yeah, yeah, yeah. We're not we're not sadists, so we don't do any of those things. Uh, it's simple, uh, friendly, audible tones, and we focus on engine speed control idling and highway speed. And those are all configured in conjunction with the fleet. And if the driver exceeds the configured level, they get a, a gentle, audible tone in the cab. It's kind of like, you can think of it as rumble strips. In effect, it's for, I'll say, the, you know, kind of the most extreme instances of uh, fuel inefficiency. Yeah, so like maintaining uh, a regular speed. Yeah. Right. But you need that feedback, yeah. right? Like, yeah. like, for example, if you jump on like a Peloton, right? They Peloton has these instructors, and I don't know if you've ever been to Peloton, but if you ride one, they keep yelling at you about your resistance and how fast you're moving your legs. And you can see that happen in real time, so you can adjust yourself. I've driven a hybrid car. I used to have a Honda Insight, and that would give you a lot of feedback, too, on how you were doing. Yeah, it's got the gauge going now. back and forth, right? You need yeah. that, because someone just going, well, drive better, don't drive as hard, you know, stay within X. Okay, that's after the trip, that's fine to know, but you can't form, if, you, if it's in real time, you can form those habits, right, Alan? Yep, that, that's really the, the heavy lifting in terms of maximizing fuel efficiency is what happens in real time. You know, the old saying, you can't unburn fuel. Uh, so arresting the, the worst uh, uh, fuel inefficiency behaviors in real time, really, the, uh, that's what it's all about. It's really excellent stuff, and it shows. It says uh, from uh, up to 30% is affected by the way the driver actually drives, right? Is that correct? Yeah. Up to 30%. Yes, we've seen it. We see it all the time. We see it today. And certainly, you know, the more modern transmissions and powertrains have improved fuel economy overall. Uh, but the driver can still have a very significant impact. And, you know, frankly, even the drivetrain manufacturers will tell you that. And yeah, so I we bet. also uh, make sure that I would imagine that even if you're using some of these additives, we've had we've had some people on talking about you know these additives to the fuel oh, yeah. that help it burn more efficiently, etc. The guys from Cebus Twenty One, he's actually in the comments. Nick. Yeah, exactly. Right. Yeah, these is really good. But you combine this with this, now you really got some savings, right? I mean, sure. it doesn't matter how efficient the fuel is; the driver is still going to affect uh, a lot of that, right? So you get more efficient fuel with the additives, and then put this into play. You've got a winning combination. Now, there's some guys who they yep. love the analytics. Some people just love the analytics. There's a guy on Twitter, Mac Lovin. He always posts. He's like. Uh, a couple of people I follow on Twitter, actually, their, their goal is to get under 10 miles per gallon, and they want to do a big celebration when they get under that 10 miles per gallon. or Sorry, over, over. 10 miles per gallon. I was going to say. Yeah, yeah, when they're getting over <laughs> 10 miles there per gallon. Um, uh, is there any gamification aspect of this? How do you get people excited about it? Yeah, absolutely. First, you know, drivers understand that MPG is, is a metric, but it's not necessarily a fair metric for them in terms of judging their performance. Depends on what truck they're assigned, what the load is, what the route is, what what are the external conditions. We take all that into account in determining potential MPG, so then the drivers can know how well did they do versus how well they could have done. And obviously that can lend itself to, uh, you know, fuel incentive programs or rewards or gamification. And we, we've seen the drivers uh, really get into it, really have fun, and argue, you know, down to the second decimal place, uh, you know, whose efficiency score. Yeah was better. But most importantly, you know, they, they appreciate that that metric is judging them as the professionals that they are, not so much just based on the luck of the draw, whether they had to pull the bricks over the mountain when their uh, colleague is pulling paper towels through Nebraska or something. 
we take all that into account and judge, again, what occurred versus what should have occurred with the best fuel efficient driving. And the in-cab tool helps the drivers get there as quickly as possible. One of our customers said it's like having an invisible coach in the cab. That's a really good point, talking about, you know, t- carrying bricks or centered metals through the Laurel Mountains of Pennsylvania or driving, you know, Easter grass or, or, or paper products across Nebraska. That has to be, you know, I, I wasn't even thinking about that, uh, but that's highly important to get these metrics correct, yeah. who is efficient who isn't. Yeah. Are, are a lot of the metrics out there, uh, your site sort of alluded to this, that there is some inaccuracy or there's inaccuracy in the way that people are looking at, at the metrics, rather calculating their own fuel, uh, their, their own fuel usage. Can you touch on that a little bit? Yeah, I don't know so much inaccuracy. I mean, you can get a lot of data, of course, off trucks and telematic systems these days. But when it comes to fuel, it's a lot of work to interpret those properly. And uh, look, everybody's busy, right? Who needs more work to do and studying data to try to figure out how good was my MPG or how do I make it better? We automate all that. We, we reach those conclusions and figure out, uh, again, how, how good it was versus how good it could have been and what specific things should be looked at to do better the next time. All automated, easy to use. We have a web portal. We have a mobile app for the drivers with the most of the same information. Um, so, yeah, it's all about making it easy for police and, 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 more importantly, helpful and really productive for the city. And that's what True Fuel does. Well, Alan, we really appreciate your time today. Thank you for playing it forward with us. Yeah, for right those on. of you listening right now or you're listening to this on demand, if you want to play it forward, just reach out to myself, Timothy Dooner. That's D-O-O-N-E-R on LinkedIn or Twitter at Timothy Dooner or Michael Vincent or Vincent the Dude on Twitter. And you two can come on the show. You can you can show us off your gear. Yeah, you can absolutely. play a ditty for us and you can talk a little bit. We'll talk some shop afterwards. If people want to talk more shop with you, though, where do they go, Alan, after this interview? Yeah, you can uh, you can email me uh, at a lot of these my email address is so long. Um, www.venomicscorp.com. Yeah, there's a contact there. Um, yeah, I'll, I'll I'll make sure my I'll get my email address out there somewhere. It's on our website. Well, thank you very much for your time today, Alan. We really appreciate it, and thanks for uh, playing it forward. By the way, thank Cal- you, Alan. Kalissa Carver, she's Big Rig Barbie. She says uh, we might have to have her. We got to have big, that on. Yeah, name like rig, that. Come on. I don't dig DM us, Big Rig Big Rig Barbie. <laughs> she says you can incentivize good business practices for your lease purchase drivers by requiring milestones being met, with the caveat being in CPM. For example, you may even want to have a basic business course that you can offer for free. Completion of the course would be conditional to sign the lease. There's statistical evidence of drivers having a significant greater margin of success in the lease purchase arrangement if they have basic business education. I don't have the exact data off the top of my head, but OO recruiters absolutely should. LOL. Yes, I agree with Big Rig Barbie. I do too. Sounds like Big Rig Barbie knows what she's talking about. She knows what the big deals and little deals are. She absolutely, I know. She absolutely does. We're, we're going to do some big deal, let's, little deal now. Let's we do don't, it right now. We don't have Emily Zink. We should have had special oh. guest Big Rig Barbie doing it for us. So uh, oh, Tell her to call in right now. Instead, Give we're out gonna, your phone number. Should I give out your phone number? <laughs> we're going to split it seeing here. <laughs> All right, big deal, little deal. Dude, a settlement in a $48.9 million mm. class action suit against railway suppliers has been approved. Is that a big deal or a little deal? 
Well, $48.9 million is a big deal yeah. <laughs> to, to, to me. I, I think it is a big deal because when you read through this, really it's, it's, uh, it was an agreement between Westinghouse, Westinghouse Airbrake and then mm. its, its subsidiaries. Yeah, like Wabtec, right? Wabtec, yeah, all those to because to, they don't want to compete uh, with each other. Nor AG. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And they don't, they want to, they don't want to compete with each other for employees. They don't compete with each other. So yeah. they don't want to steal each other's employees without approval, mm. right? Which sounds okay on the surface but it has uh, limited people's ability to go get other jobs and move over according to the arguments, etc. Um, depending on what, it, I don't think it really matters which side of the coin agreement or disagreement with that yeah, yeah. is. It's a big deal because it, they won the case. Yeah, I think it's, I mean, look, the, the award is a little deal. It's, it was only $7,100 in per compensation person. Yeah. per person after 11 years in these class action cases. These things go on forever. It's hard to win out. The only way you really win out and the, the argument for the class action is to change business policies. Because right. this is a big deal if you're an employee. Your mobility in this sort of niche industry is completely limited by collusion at the top between several different companies. that are. And look, I understand as, as the business owner, you understand. You don't want your talent taken away all the time. Right. But the thing is there, you have to have some protection as an employee because then you get them in a situation where you completely control their pay and they can't create their own employee market. Yeah, that's exactly it. And I think it crossed that line between trying to work out something where you're not cannibalizing each other's business in these subsidiaries to they were their pay is uh, they, their negotiation ability to negotiate a better life or, or, or move up was was hindered. Yeah, which I can see. I can see. Next one, let's go. A uh, big deal, little deal to you, Dooner, is, uh, you know, there was this storm, Laura. Yeah. <clears throat> so Tyson Foods uh, and truck, their trucking group mobilizes to help Hurricane Laura survivors mm-hmm. uh, with food, et cetera. Big deal or little deal? Well, I mean, we touched on this story, right? It's hard getting relief to the supplier, so it's a big deal. Tyson has a Meals That Matter program. They've been using it for eight of their trucks to bring these ready-made relief kits. And what they do is they don't put, like, a whole truck full of blankets, a whole truck full of chicken, a whole truck full of of water bottles. They actually make the the distribution kits to bring out to people. They spread out out where the trucks are going. They try to get them as many people as possible. And just to reference Kathy Fulton again from Alanade at that Midday Market Update— she talked about how quickly this this just falls out of the national consciousness. So seeing a company like Tyson step up and help out is a is a pretty big deal. It's a big deal, and I hope people. I agree with you. It's a big deal, and I hope people more jump on, uh, jump more on the bandwagon and, and help with this type of stuff. As we talked about with Zach Strickland, our director of freight market intelligence, his yeah. you know altruism isn't going to get the whole the- deal done. Hopefully, it is. Yeah. <laughs> we do get it done. But I, I get why he's saying there's there's a strain there. I think part of the other big deal with Tyson is the fact that they used to. Uh, supply all, uh, you know, they'd set up different cooking kitchens, et cetera, and, and provide a million, almost 100000 a day or something like that. They couldn't really do that because of employee safety, et cetera, with the pandemic, et cetera, but they figured out a different way to do it. And now there are multiple trucks going, as you said, to all these different communities. So kudos, kudos to those guys. And I'd just like to say, too, if you're out there and you have done something in terms of PPE or you're doing something with hurricane relief, your company is, let us know, You like, just with the play it forward, let Michael Vincent or myself know. We'd be more than happy to talk to you on air about what your company is doing. We always like to highlight the good in supply chain. Right on. Absolutely. Uh, With a a potential vaccine. So here's another one for you. With a potential vaccine for COVID on the horizon, I think Fuji said, you know what? 
you know, people are giving Trump a lot of grief at first when he said mm -hmm. it, it could be here by November. But now Fushi's saying, OK, maybe there is one or at least a test version that will be. But herein lies the problem, right? With COVID on the rise and supply chains are racing to prepare freezer farms and delivery networks. Is this a big deal or a little deal? I, uh, I'm going to go off the scale. I think yeah. it's a huge deal. Yeah. Because when it comes down to it, it's distribution and getting it to the right people in a timely fashion, et cetera, is going to be a huge deal. And the bigger deal with this is they're setting up these 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 uh, uh, like I says freezer farms and other movement for the supply chain of this, and they don't even know what the product is yet. Yeah. They know it's a vaccine, but how's the vial going to be shaped? What's the packaging? What are the doses? What, how many, et cetera? Is it is it at, you know five millimeters per person that they have to have, or is it one millimeter? Changes all the packaging and the total look of the supply chain, and then this freezer farm. You know how to, how cold does it have to be, et cetera? It's important. Yeah, I mean we're we're talking about goods here that need to be moved at negative 20 to negative 80 Celsius across cold storage, across airlines, across reefer trucks, across holding facilities, uh, then at CVS or wherever the doctor's office, wherever they're administering stuff. And at any point during that supply chain, any break during that supply chain, within two hours, yeah. this stuff can be rendered inert and useless or dangerous. So this is this is the, this is one of the biggest supply chain projects. Not 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 this year ever. Ever. This Ever. is a gigantic project that's taking the forces of USPS, of UPS, of the FedEx of the world, of the DHL of the world, all working together in collusion, good collusion. Maybe not that railway sort of collusion, but good collusion <laughs> to bring this stuff all together. <laughs> in fact, it was uh, the challenge for us. Here's uh, from Wes Wheeler. He's the president mm -hmm. of healthcare division at UPS. He says the challenge for us will be to be on our ready at any moment to ship from one place to another. Now, that sounds really simple, but when you think of all the intermediaries, <laughs> all the places and how having to keep this at that constant temperature. It's like walking across a tightrope with an egg on your nose. Yeah, it, it absolutely is. And data and real-time data and control of all of these different modes of capacity is going to be crucial to prove once once it gets there to the end, did it actually meet those environmental sure. requirements the whole way through? Because, you, you know, like, what's the irony of you getting sick from the actual vaccine itself? <laughs> you, you yeah. know, but I think exactly. Brian Burke, he's a chief growth officer at uh, Itzke, Illinois-based freight forwarder Seco Logistics. I think he almost undersells it because I mean, he's trying to say it's big. He said distribution of the much-anticipated uh, vaccine would be equivalent of every iPhone, Galaxy, and PlayStation launch all at the same time. Every single person in yeah, but the, the people world die if they don't get it. Looking. But they die, but you die if you don't get your phone. Exactly. That's the added exactly. on top of it. <laughs> and every single person is going to need one, not just yes. one household. Yeah, oh, yeah. Big. It's not really a choice. Biggest deal we've done. Yeah, absolutely. Biggest deal. Biggest deal we've got. Uh, all right. So Dooner, C.H. Robinson CEO Bob Beasterfield says that half of furloughed workers won't be brought back as many of their roles have been automated. We're seeing this in other industries as well, brother. Big deal, little deal. I, I. I... <laughs> I think that this is one you could see coming. Furloughing, to me, seemed like a, a way to allow people to at least stay on their health insurance, um, maybe get a little compensation. Uh, but the problem is that when businesses go remote and when they set up, they're going to find out that a lot of discretionary spending, some of the spending they were doing was just not necessary. CH CHRW, they furloughed 7% of its workforce. That's over 1,000 people. They're saying that you know automation has actually replaced a lot of these workers. And I think what's the big deal about that is we are going to see this sweep across our industry, especially mm -hmm. in brokerages. There's a lot of processes. Yep. And I think that you know this is going to be the decade where automation we're really, it's really a threat. It's a threat to people's jobs. And uh, and this isn't exclusive to CHRW. You mentioned that it's other companies. Yeah. And I don't think that this is something where it's going to be a threat to your job at the end of the decade. I'm talking now, moving next year, the year moving forward. Tech is going really fast, really rapidly, really great right now. Understand it because 
I think we're just going to be seeing more of this, and it's, it's unfortunate, but, and this is also why I build the tech to make the efficiencies there. So hopefully you can find another place for yourself within the supply chain. I, and I say that as sensitively as possible, but it's just sort of the way of the thing and just something I've been talking about for a long time when it comes to freight tech is there is an asteroid that's coming for some segments of brokerages where things can be automated. And not just brokers. I mean, all business. Yeah, all, all businesses yeah. across the landscape of, of all businesses. And you, and you said it. It has, it's always been coming. Yeah. And it's not the end of the decade. This has accelerated many things. And unfortunately, it has accelerated the fact that we're going to have a lot, a large percentage of the workforce displaced and not trained in the skills that they need to go get another job, where a decade would help that kind of gradually happen. It's, it's upon us right now. So it's a big deal, and it's a wake-up call. Boom, you've got to retrain for something right now because I mean, it, We talked to CHRW on Friday, right? Yeah. And 50%, what are they, 50, they double their transactions or digital transactions in less than a year. They, built, right. they put in the architecture, the structure. And um, I don't think this is, a, it's not that CHRW is like evil or something and doing no. this. No, no, I don't think just, that at all. I think this is just the way of what's happening, and we're going to see this across all companies. Yeah, it's a microcosm of, of yeah. across the board, not to pick on pick on them. Here, here's one for you. We talk about yeah. cybersecurity all the time. A Russian national has been accused of trying to hack Tesla's computer networks by bribing workers at a gigafactory in uh, Arizona to install malware, or Nevada to install malware, right? Big deal or little deal? <laughs> um, well, I mean... The, <sighs> I, I think it's a big deal because it would be a really good movie if it had a better plot. Oh, yeah, like it worked out. <laughs> you, yeah, but, well, you combine with this with the with the distribution of vaccine, and now we've got ourselves a blockbuster movie of the summer, right? Yeah. Once, once we can do that, right? But, I mean, this guy comes in and he offers a million dollars and a burner phone, and there's international travel and all this other kind of stuff. Uh, and it sounds like it would be really interesting in this really big deal. I think it's kind of a little deal. The big deal is that people are trying to do this stuff. Uh, yeah. he, you know what I'm saying? He didn't go about it the best way, in my opinion. I'm not an expert in, in installing ransomware, but it sounds kind of like, you know, half-hearted type of effort. <laughs> right? He went in and tried to bribe some employees while he hung around for a week. The guy turned him in, the FBI knocked on the door, yeah. and he took off, right? Yeah, yeah. They, they, someone dropped a dime on him. Yeah, exactly. Um, yeah, I mean, I guess, I guess you got to say it's uh, a good deal in getting get caught. I mean, it wasn't caught by... Look, a lot of hacking, and we've also talked about this, it's not someone sitting there, you know, like Hacker Matrix style with uh, yeah, ones yeah. and zeros uh, in a dimly lit room with a hoodie on going up and down. It's done by social engineering. This guy, you know, whoever, some hacker made the malware software to install... But the actual deployment is done through email. It's done through uh, rogue employees. This guy, he tried to yeah, he tried to exactly. be a consultant to the company. I am not sure how he weaseled his way in there for a few weeks. I'm sure a lot of people would love to have <laughs> access to Gigafactory, but he managed to do it. He was offering that million dollars, and he gave him a burner phone, said turn in airplane mode, and the person was like, look, this is uh, just too much. I got Tesla stock, and if you haven't seen that, I think I'm good. Your million dollars is not enough. <laughs> it's just not going to cut yeah, it right exactly. now. Even One after the million dollars. It yeah. reminds me of a scene from Office Space where they're p- passing around the little floppy disk to put in there. Yeah. Right? <laughs> oh, we're stealing little pennies, a little fraction of a penny. <laughs> yeah, this worked too well. Yeah. Oh, man. But, Dooner, here, here's the thing. Amazon's new wearable. Wearable. Yes. Wearable. <laughs> wearable. <laughs> their wearable. That Jezebel. Amazon, yeah. Their new wearable <laughs> wearable will judge you based on the tone of your voice. Well, it'll oh. judge you, but it'll judge the tone of your voice, Dooner. <laughs> How do you think about that? Uh, I mean, my wife might see that so as a win. So when you're, when you're talking, it'll, like, flash. <laughs> my, wife might, my wife might see that as a win. I've gotten, like, tone comments before. You know, yeah. I'd be like, well, that's not what I said. And she'd be like, well, the, the tone you the use. T- I get that, too. Yeah, we've all, and then, then like, absolutely. to have data to be used against 
do on the tone. I don't know if I want to pay $99 and $3.99 a month to have uh, to be judged by a wearable. I don't like crap Suddenly on you're me. getting ads when you're when you're Google searching stuff for anger management. Yeah. yeah. I mean, here's the thing. I don't like crap on me. I don't wear a watch. I don't wear necklaces. I don't I don't wear stuff. My skin breaks out. I just yeah. I don't need that on me. But even if like I kind of liked it, I would probably wait until there's just more of an integration point. Maybe if this is something I cared about. I mean, I don't know. I do talk for a living, so maybe it's important to know my tone. I don't know, but, but at the same time, I just, I don't really need to be paid to be, I, it would give me anxiety. I think I would get angry if I was looking at it and I would think too much and then I would send weird texts like in the middle of the night like, hey, sorry, my tone's a little off. I was looking at my analytics in the yeah. halo and yeah, you're right. I was kind of a You think your circle of friends would change with this if you started changing the way you talk and stuff? Because you know People like you based on your personality, et cetera. If you start changing it, I don't know. Have you been patronizing? Uh, silly question, I guess. I, I, don't know. I, I would like it if it had like a light bulb that could go off every time I was sarcastic so people got it. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, or like a smiley face that was, or something. Yeah, yeah. sarcasm do you, light Do you use any on. personal like body analytics? I, I do. I, I, I do wear a smartwatch and measure my heart rate and for working out, so how many steps I do in a day and that type yeah. of stuff. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I got one for the for the bike, like to wear yeah. when I'm doing the exercise yeah. bike. Just uh, measure my sleep efficiency, all that type of stuff. Yeah. Uh, well, you know, I, I think our I think our our next story is kind of uh, it oh. really brought to the forefront health. I mean, this is this is that story. I don't think anybody knew that this guy was dealing with this. In fact, when people saw the condition he was in when he did an interview a little while ago, uh, some disparaging comments were made. But so Black Panther actor Chad. Chadwick Boseman, he passed away from colon cancer at the very young age of 43. Big deal or little deal? Yeah, you know, it's uh, it's a big deal. I mean, it it really is. It's not going to resonate throughout the world and and cause a big hole in the world, but he was obviously a good person reading on him. He was a very good person, and the roles that he did play, he was very talented. Yeah. And the roles that he he did play were, were were pretty good and serious roles in many cases, uh, talking about subjects that people need to understand and be educated on. Um, and obviously his family and his friends, uh, it, it, it's awful. And to go through that without, I mean, obviously he probably he had a support of circle of friends, yeah. you know, inside, but to go through this and acting through chemotherapy and several th- surgeries, et cetera. As a superhero. As a superhero. Um, yeah, we lost a good man. So anytime we lose any good man, no matter how far his reaching his effect is, it's a big deal. Yeah, I mean, especially when you look at the age. I mean, it resonates especially with me. He's only two years older than me. I'm sure it resonates with a lot of different communities because of, of what he represents. Um, having a superhero like like Black Panther and an actor like that to look up up to, such as we talk about all this sort of division in America that are in, in some pockets. I mean, this was such a great and positive presence to to have. But I think the message to sort of to take away, and I don't agree with the comments. Some people have made comments online, like he should have put it out there that he had colon cancer Why? and spread awareness. But I think that you know well, what, yeah, it's his that. decision, it's his personal decision, and we have a right to our personal decision. But I think yeah. that what we can do is we can look at something like this. You can look at a guy who's playing a superhero in that shape. You can look at your own age and go, you know what, I should probably get my uh, my health checked out and my colon checked out because yeah. you can be taken from your family b- before you even before you even knew it. I mean, Wakanda forever. Rest in peace, Chadwick Boseman. It's it's a sad. It's a sad story, um, uh, but I, I think that maybe the good that can come of it is just spreading some of that awareness that, that comes of yeah. it now. And, and yeah, and you're, you're dead on. Even in an event like that, and you got to look for something good to find some blessings in it and, and take from it and, and move some good around. Hopefully that will be the case. Yeah. 
Well, folks, our next virtual event's coming up, Global Trade Summit, presented by American Shippers, September 16th and 17th, 2020. The event will feature quick, rapid-fire demos that you have gotten used to at our other events, the latest technology. You can hear all those inspiring keynotes and everything that's going into the world of global trade tech, which is massively changing. And what I'm curious, too, is we heard the conversation from carriers. They were, like, the big, the big takeaway. And if you didn't catch our last virtual summit, by the way, all of those are being uploaded. You want the audio on it? Look up Freycast. I upload a new one every single day on there. This show will be there as well or you can look up what the truck on its own feed. But go on, I want to see if the conversations there on a global level, and I imagine they will be, is about integration. We're talking yeah. about technology. Technology is definitely making changes. Look at the automation and furloughs. Look there at all of these different. It's no changing doubt. the global shape of freight. And also with these vaccines coming up, this is in September. That's supposed to come out in November. I would love to hear about what's going on in with cold chain solutions. And if we can really handle this and when it will be ubiquitous enough that you or I could just sort of easily go to the Walgreens or the CVS and get punched. Yeah, when is it going to be? Hey, free vaccines. Yeah. <laughs> when is it going to happen? Free vaccine day. All right, guys, follow us on Twitter, at Timothy Duner, that's D-O-O-N-E-R. You can find him at Vincent the Dude or connect with us on LinkedIn. Subscribe on uh, Freightcast, get every single Freightways podcast. Let's go on What the Truck. We will be back Friday, 12 noon. Look out for all our guests. For all of you thinking of joining the trucking industry, take it easy. And be excellent to each other. Peace and love.